Hello. Hello. Yeah, I have 45 hours now to record. Let's go. I just had to clear all the storage off my computer, (laughs) all of the stuff, because I had no storage left, and it cut us off in the middle of recording this. Well, at least it is fixed. Yep. Problem solved. Woo! Now, for your listening pleasure, we are back with Diagnosing a (laughs) Killer. Diagnosing a Killer, episode four. I'm Kenna. I'm Kowell. We already said that. No, we didn't. We did. When we first started? Yeah. You want to listen back to it? Sure. I was wrong. I I like how confident you were, though. I was. I think I was thinking about us recording before it cut out. You're like, sure. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Soups. Soups cash. Soups cash. (laughs) That was my computer. (laughs) Well, it sounded like a like a dog barking from very far away. Yeah. It was yeah. like I was removing something from the dock on my Mac and it went like that. It like deleted it. Okay. Proceed. So I am going to talk about a case that I feel like a few people probably know. Not, not a few people. Like literally it was national news. So a lot of people know about this case. Not everyone knows about it. Probably in the last few years, especially mm-hmm. like, well, there's always going to be document documentaries coming out about it just yeah. because it was a really intriguing case and it took the media by storm and everybody was involved in it. But, um, you know, it's kind of been dwindling into obscurity, I would say, because this happened in the early 2000s. Um, and we're going to talk about Scott Peterson. I don't know if I know this. You, you may or may not. I don't know. I feel like I might know the crime. I just might not know the name. Yeah. 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 I think, well, we'll see. You might know the mugshot because it was hilarious. Oh, no. So Scott Lee Peterson was born October 24th, 1972 to parents Lee Arthur Peterson and Jackie Helen Latham? 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 Lee was a businessman who worked for a trucking company, and then eventually he owned his own crate packaging company. Don't know what crate packaging means. Sounds like he works with eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Crate packaging. Yeah, is it like, does he make pallets? And then, like, packages those pallets? Crate packaging. Yeah, that makes sense. Or is it, like, those milk crates where, like, you're putting milk in there? Or is it, like, like, he works for a crate... And packing company. Like, they make crates and they pack Do they, they pack, pack them? Things? But it's know. crate packaging. I don't know. Either way, the world may never know. So Jackie, Mama Peterson, she owned a small boutique in La Jolla called The Put-On. She would regularly take little baby Scott to work with her. Um, she was incredibly doting. She was a great mom. She ran the shop while Scott was, like, in his crib and, like, playing. And people would come by and be like, look at a baby. <laughs> And uh, she was a really, like I said, an incredibly doting mother. Um, She had experienced her own tragedy growing up. Jackie's father was actually murdered when she was, like, two, two and a half. Oh, my God. So, and it actually kind of tore the family apart. She was pretty much orphaned at a certain age. And she was actually mostly raised by Catholic nuns. Huh. So the story's out there if you want to Google it. Um, She wasn't shy about it later in interviews, um, much later. (laughs) 
So, um, like I said, if you want to look that up, you can. Just for time's sake, I didn't get into it. Yeah. So, she was super concentrated on Scott. Um, she even said that Scott didn't walk before he was one because she just carried him everywhere, which I Aww, think is cute. cute. Carrying around your little baby. <laughs> Lee and Jackie actually had six kids from a previous marriage, like, all together. Okay. They were actually joked as, like, being kind of like the Brady Bunch. But, um, so that was, they were both previous mar- previously married before that, before they had Scott. So it was six kids, including Scott, or seven, including Scott? It was six before Scott. Scott was, like, the seventh. Okay. So he spent his childhood in a two-bedroom apartment in La Jolla, where he had shared a bedroom with his half-brother, John, who was Jackie's boy. Um, And he was six at the time. John was. Scott began playing golf at a super early age, like three. Um, I know, it's really cute. So Lee had pretty much taught all of his kids, you know, especially the boys, like everything about fishing, hunting, golfing, things mm-hmm. like that. And the way that Lee saw it is like, if they concentrated on things that he also liked, then the kids will want to spend more time with him, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. Which is really sweet. So they really had like an idyllic life. Um, the parents were super involved and it was kind of like a stereotypical suburban life. It was Cub Scouts, Little League, golf on the weekends, fishing, fam- family fishing trips. Mm-hmm. Scott was also described in school as like the kind of kid to stay out of trouble. Um, as a boy, he was rarely in trouble and teachers also described him as, quote, quiet and polite. So you don't really see that a lot in these cases. Right. You usually see, like, physical or, like, emotional abuse, like, yeah. neglect or, you know, violence, and that doesn't seem to be the case at all. No. Here we go. Not yet. Here we go. So- <laughs> Why did I say that? In elementary school, he was actually a crossing guard. Oh! I know! Oh my god, like, the big old stop sign with the yeah, tiny little... exactly. Oh so god. cute. So he was involved, the parents were involved, and clearly he was trusted to be yeah. able to do things like that. Aww. You know, he was really involved in school. I don't like so, where this is going. Yeah, he was a standout achiever, like, all throughout his school. Yeah. So as he grew, his love for golf grew, and by age 14, which was 1986 at this point, mm-hmm. he could actually beat his father at golf. Oh, I bet yeah. his father didn't like that. He's like, Well, <laughs> <laughs> well he kind of liked it, though. It's kind of funny is that uh, when Lee was, when Scott was younger, Lee had told him, if you ever beat me in a game of golf, I'll buy you a Ferrari. Um, hell yeah. I probably would have tried to do that as well. <laughs> Although he didn't get a Ferrari. I think he got, like, a some type of a Chevy sedan. <laughs> but either way, like, you yeah, know. So, yeah, he could beat it. He could definitely beat his dad by age 14. And so as soon as he was able to drive, his dad bought him a car. <laughs> which is kind of cool. It's like you're teaching your kid to work for something, of right? Of course, yeah. yeah. Friendly competition never hurt anybody. So in high school, Scott did odd jobs at the golf course. Okay. Totally going into that golf, like leaning into that golf. Yeah. So he actually played at his Catholic high school's golf team alongside the famous pro golfer, Phil Mickelson. Really? They went to high school together. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So by the end of high school, he was one of the top junior golfers in San Diego. Okay. Scott was. So really, like, again, he's dedicated to doing, this. Doing the damn thing. A friend said about Scott, he was more of a leader. He was a strong-minded person, and he was really confident in whatever he was doing. Mm-hmm. So Scott graduated from the University of San Diego High School in, 19, in 1990, and through a partial golf scholarship, Scott was actually accepted at Arizona State University. Wow. So it was around that time that Scott's father would actually state to his son, he was almost like Mr. Perfect. Like, he's on this really great path, career-wise, oh, no. school-wise, like, he's going to do stuff. That's so, not good. Yeah. You're not supposed to tell your kid that they're perfect because then they won't ever try to be better than they are. Because I'm perfect the way I am, so why am I going to try Why am I going to change? So professional golfer Phil Mickelson was Scott's high school mate, but he also attended classes at on a scholarship at AC, 
ASU as well. Okay. So they went to the same college. Lee, Scott's dad, later testified that the that it was a considerable amount of competition that Mickelson presented while they were at Arizona State. Uh, yeah, of course. And why this guy's, he? like, amazing, Yeah, right? he is really good. I think yeah. he won last year the, the uh, what is it, the Open or whatever? The, what I don't know the, I don't know, the about golf, golf. PGA golf tour or whatever. <laughs> I think he won. But again, Phil Mickelson being right there next to Scott, it really discouraged him. Really? Yeah, Scott. You think it like light a fire under him? Like you would think, but it, like I'm not going to be as good as that guy, so why even try? It's kind of like what literally you said. the mindset. Yeah. If you tell somebody they're perfect, they're not going to try to be better. Right. That's like really bad for your for, to tell your kids things like that. Yeah. So one instance, Scott had actually gone out with a friend named Chris, who was a fellow golfer, and at the time, Chris was the top junior golfer in the country. Wow. Yeah. Huge. Right. Like, yeah. So they actually stayed out all night. They were partying and whatnot, hanging out with girls. But by the next morning, they were completely hungover. Uh, yeah. And they had a competition the next day. And so this compromised their position in the competition. Sounds like me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I think about that and I'm like, I'll finish the rest of this and then I'll go back to what I'm about to okay. say. So Chris's dad, Chip, was really upset by this, and yeah. he labeled Scott as a really bad influence on his son oh, and his son's future career. No. So this guy made such a stink complaining to the golf club that the golf club actually kicked him off the team. Oh Scott. my god! Yeah. No! It's like your son has free will. He took it a yeah. and forced those drinks down his throat. Right. So, but I'm thinking about this as like, because we all know that things are going to get dubious, right? Yeah. Do you think that maybe Scott was jealous that of. Chris was a top golfer, and he, like, was like, no, bro, like, let's go out, let's party, let's drink, let's Even whatever. if he was, though, again, this guy, Chris, right. has free will. No one, it's like, it reminds me of that movie, 21 and Over. Have you seen that movie where it's, like, Style, uh, Skylar Aston, who's, like, beautiful, and then um, Miles Teller. I have no idea then, okay, who these people are. So, Scott Aston... Uh, Skylar Aston and Miles Teller are, like, the two main characters, and then they go visit, like, they're all, like, a trio. They visit their friend, I don't know the actor's name. They visit him, and he's, like, you know, he has, like, a really important interview the next morning. Mm -hmm. And they convince him to go out, like, the night before, and his dad keeps coming in, he's like, all right, remember, I'm picking you up at 6 a.m., and the guy's like, oh, it's okay, I'll just go for one drink, and then he's like, wow, like, he gets, like, really crazy, and the dad, like, blames his friends. There you go, same thing. No, that's BS, though. Like, no one freaking, again, no one forced alcohol down this guy's throat. No, but I mean, they are in college, and, like, I don't know. I'm just saying, okay, getting mad, sure, but getting him kicked off the team, like, that's a little extreme. It's it's excessive. Sorry, I went on for like this whole But apparently, <laughs> like, Scott stopped caring about it anyways. Okay. Potentially, right. So anyways, he was kicked off of the team for... They they cited him for inappropriate conduct. Oh my god, whatever. He's a fucking college <laughs> student. Like. I know. So after Scott was kicked off of the team, he actually dropped out of the university. Yeah, that's, that's so sad. sad. So Scott eventually transferred to Cuesta College <laughs> in San Luis Obispo. Okay. Then after that, he transferred to California Polytechnic State University. So okay. what they used to say, uh, Cal Poly is what they call Cal it. Cal Poly. Cal Poly. I like that. So although he initially majored in international business, he actually changed his major to agricultural business. Okay. And uh, his professors said that he was a model student. One even quoted 
was quoted in saying, I wouldn't mind having an entire classroom full of Scott Petersons. Oh, that's know, a really good that's compliment. It's <laughs> a great compliment. I'd love for someone to say that about me. <laughs> so this is in 1994, and while at Cal Poly, Scott worked at a restaurant in Morro Bay called the Pacific Cafe. Okay. And one of his co-workers would receive visits from a friend named Lacey Rocha. Ooh, okay. Bum, bum, bum. So Lacey Denise Rocha was actually born May 4th, 1975, to parents Sharon and Dennis Rocha. Her parents were high school sweethearts, and they owned a dairy farm on a really large property east of Escalon, California. Love that for them. I know. <laughs> I do. I do. A dairy I farm do. is amazing. Well, poor cows. Um, Lacey was named after a girlfriend of Sharon's in high school who she thought was really, really pretty, which is like another really sweet compliment. Yeah. I think that's how Cameron was named. I think really? mom, mom had a friend whose daughter was named Cameron yeah. and she was like, oh my God, I love that name. And then she used it like way later on. A, a guy friend of mine used to date this girl. I won't say her name, but I loved her name so much. And then he was completely like clobbered by this girl. And I was like, can't name my baby that. Yeah. <laughs> that's awful. Because then every time it would just be. So Lacey had one older brother, and his name was Brent. He was about four years older than her. Brent. And Brent. Lacey loved growing up on a farm, and she started pulling her weight around the farm, like, at a really early age. So. Yeah, that's usually how it works out. It's like they, like, a lot of people like that have kids just so they have extra hands yeah. on the farm. I'm not saying just so, but, you know. No, they, but, it, yeah, of course. As soon as they can walk, they're holding shit. Right. But her passion would be in gardening. She loved oh, to garden, okay. and she loved gardening with her mother, especially, and was absolutely enamored by, like, making things grow and oh she had God. a super green thumb i wish i had one i do. Yeah. i have a and black so, thumb i think <laughs> same and so yeah plants were like a huge passion of Lacey's. so um i say all that but like with her growing up on a farm but she her parents divorced when she was two and a half okay so they were little but they would go to the farm every weekend and that's when they would get all that exposure okay. to gardening and helping around the dairy farm so yeah once the parents divorced sharon actually moved the kiddos to modesto and so they pretty much grew up there but again they would regularly go back to the farm on the weekends to see their dad and be with nature so ron gransky is actually sharon's second husband okay and they pretty he pretty much raised lacy and brent along with sharon um since lacy was two two and a half so dennis also remarries and through this marriage he gains a stepson okay. since his wife um, was also previously married and then they had one more daughter and her name was amy okay so she's got lacy's got her older brother brett a semi kind of same age stepbrother and then a baby sister, Amy. Blended families, for sure. Yeah, for sure. But by all accounts, it seems like this family dynamic really worked. Um, they were great co-parents. Lacey was always smiling and bubbly, talkative, and usually the center of attention. Lacey was a cheerleader in high school at Thomas Downey High School, and then after graduation, she attended Cal Poly. Oh, the state university where she majored in ornamental horticulture. So are they, her and Scott are like about the same age? They're, I think they're three years apart because okay. she's 75, 1975, he's 1972. Okay. So three years. While at Polytech, Lacey would sometimes visit a friend who worked at a restaurant in Morro Bay called the Pacific Cafe, where we all know Scott Peterson works. That reminds me of, what is it, in Finding Nemo or something? They say like Morro Bay, California, like they talk, I don't, maybe it's not Morro Bay, maybe, I don't know, whatever, good. I thought, because I thought I was in Finding Dory. Yeah, he's like the jewel okay. of Morro Bay, California. Right? Yeah, that's what he says. Yeah, right? he does. <laughs> it's like, that's not familiar. That. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when you, I thought you said Finding Nemo at first. I was like, I did. That was in Australia. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> 
So Lacey was actually the one to kind of break the ice. She left her number for Scott the first time that Scott served her at this restaurant. Okay. So she told her mother shortly after meeting Scott that she thought that she had met the man that she was going to marry. Wow. I know. I know. So sweet. Scott eventually called Lacey, and they set their very first date, which was to go deep-sea fishing. Okay, how freaking cool. I would love that. Oh my gosh. It would be really cool if Lacey didn't get terribly seasick the entire time. Okay, well, that would also be me. (laughs) So, um, it was actually kind of sweet, because I feel like it just strengthened their relationship anyways. So this didn't end the relationship. In fact, it grew into a very serious one. I mean, if you can get sick in front of somebody, you can pretty much do anything. That's so sweet. God, what episode was that of the, was it The Bachelor? I think it was Nick's season when they went into that that plane where they could do the zero gravity. Oh, no. And then I think it was Nick's season because I think it was um, Crystal. Crystal? I I haven't seen Nick's season. Brostow or whatever, the one that she ended up getting with uh, Sean. Anyways, I think it was their date, but it was, like, they were in a plane, and it was supposed to be, like, zero gravity, so the plane just, like, does this. Oh, my this. God, that's like, so it, nauseating. Nobody can see what I'm doing, but it, <laughs> it goes up and down very slightly, so you actually, like, float. Yeah. And she got so sick, she threw up. Oh. And I don't think it was Crystal, now that I think about it. Either way, she threw up, and but it was really sweet, because he, like, was holding her, and, oh, like, God. they light, like, they were floating, and then the plane started to regulate, and they just, like, lowered back onto the, like, floor of the plane while they're, like, holding each other. It was so amazing. <laughs> Romantic. Oh and they, he still kissed her. Oh, It was really sweet. So that's what I think of when I think about this first date. <laughs> so by all accounts, the couple seemed very happy together, and after two years of dating, the couple actually moved in together. Okay. And Lacey graduated in 1997, and the couple decided to marry. Okay. So when they were married at the Sycamore Mineral Springs Resort, which is, I looked at pictures, it's actually really cute. It's, mm-hmm. like, super rustic-y, but it's, like, out in nature, and, like, the grass is super green, and there's just flowers everywhere. It's really pretty. Sounds like my kind of place. Yeah, it looks really remote, quiet, peaceful, everything like that, so. After they got married, Lacey went to work in Prudendale, which I didn't Google where that was. Sorry. <laughs> And uh, Scott decided to go back to college and focus on business rather than golf. So he had dropped out. He had. I'm sorry, I don't remember you saying that yet. I, I did. When I'm after sure he you got did. kicked I just out, don't after he got kicked out of the golf team. Oh, so Scott decided to go back to college and focus on business rather than golf. Mm-hmm. However, during this time, we know now that Scott was actually engaged in an affair at this point. Oh no. Yeah. With Phil Mickelson. <laughs> just kidding. With the Phil Mickelson. <laughs> he was so in love with Phil Mickelson. They ran I'm off kidding. together. I'm kidding. Don't at me. <laughs> that reminds me of that, that book and that movie, I Love You, Philip Morris, but it's I Love You, Philip Mickelson. <laughs> so it is um, not, like, her name has never been released, and it's not entirely, um, it hasn't been entirely said how long this affair was or whatever. I'm not sure who would know the details, and Uh it was absolutely unclear if Lacey knew about it. Okay. But this did happen between 97 and 98. Okay. So, Scott would then later go on to complete a bachelor's degree of science in June of 98. I'm assuming after this, the affair was no more. It just, again, it was just that brief moment in time. Uh So, after they both graduated, um, Scott and Lacey decided to open up a sports bar and restaurant called The Shack. Something totally different, right? 
Although initially the business was really slow, they started to see an influx of people, especially on the weekends. And believe it or not, Scott's parents never invested in the bar and grill because they just did not approve. They did not think that it was going to make any money. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because it would become something. Yeah. And (laughs) up until now, it seemed like the parents have been nothing but supportive. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was like. Shows how supportive they were. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Either way, on one account, Scott needed to replace an air vent in the restaurant, and since both of them couldn't find an, a technician that they could afford, Scott actually went and got a certification course just to be able to do it okay, on his own. cool. So he was, like, super dedicated to this yeah. venture. It's not like he was trying to slack. And that's why I kind of appreciate the fact that they didn't invest in it, because if they didn't believe in it and they didn't want to support it, well, then he doesn't owe any money back, right? Yeah, like, and it's and always more rewarding to know that you did it on your that own. That you did it on your own. And I think he really loved that. So eventually this dedication was completely worth it because the business did begin to boom. So much so that in 2000, the couple would sell the establishment and move closer to Modesto, which is Lacey's, Lacey's hometown. Uh-huh. So with the money that they made from selling the bar off, the couple actually bought their three-bedroom, two-bathroom house near La Loma, park. Lacey became a substitute teacher and Scott went on to the fertilizer trade business, which is kind of funny because you can say it was a dealer in bullshit. (laughs) I liked that. (laughs) Lacey was described as the perfect housewife. She loved to cook and entertain company. The couple planned on becoming pregnant and in the mid and in mid 2002, it was announced that the couple would be expecting. So they would learn that they were having a boy and his name would be Connor. Connor. So Lacey enrolled in prenatal yoga classes, and together they attended Lamaze classes. They decorated the nursery blue with a nautical theme. So they seemed really excited for the Yeah, baby. and it seems like, by all accounts, their marriage is, like, flourishing, and it's yeah. just great, and everything's fine. Right. And so tell me what happens that goes wrong. On October 24th, 2002, at a trade convention in Fresno, Scott was working on behalf of the company that he worked for, and he met a woman named Sean. That's his birthday, isn't it? October 24th? I thought. His is October 24th. You didn't remember remember him dropping out of school, but you remembered his birth date. Because (laughs) that birthday is shared with someone that I'm very close with. I don't want to say who because I don't want to put that information (laughs) on there. But that's why I remembered it because I I correlated it with something else. (laughs) Word association. So he told her that he was single and that he was, quote, looking for someone escalating quickly so again this is in fresno this is not in modesto where this is where he went to this convention and he had probably a little booth right i also have a child on the way yeah nope doesn't mention that he joked to sean that he should put quote horny bastard on his name tag Okay, that pisses me off because you know that him him and his wife are probably not getting it in because she's pregnant, and that fucking pisses me off. That's gross, He's like, I'm so horny. Get fucked. She's creating a life. He thought it was funny and that it would help him meet women. Oh, that's hilarious, Scott. If I saw that, I'd be like, you're a fucking pig. You're a pig. Like, you're a man pig. That is so gross. (laughs) Every time I say pig, I think I sound like um, Jessie Spano from Saved by the Bell. She's like, okay, pig. Like... (laughs) Pig. You pig. <laughs> Gross. <sighs> so it really, again, it doesn't seem like this is, like, new to him, if you yeah. think about it. Like, the way that he's portraying this is like, oh, I'm lonely, I'm looking for someone. So he's been, like, doing ha, ha, ha. this. I, I feel like he has. I feel like this probably isn't. If he's not already fucking someone else, then he's probably, like flirting with people regularly. Is I mean, what I, think. I would not put it past him. Yeah. So uh, Sean was already taken. 
But she was like, hey, I have a friend you might be interested in, or she might be interested in you. Okay. Would you be willing to get, would you, can I give her your number? Yeah. Her name is Amber Fry. So Wait, hold on. That name sounds really familiar. Keep going. <laughs> so Sean gave Scott Amber's contact information, and Scott waited about a month-ish to decide to call her on November 19th. Okay. Okay, so this was the 24th-ish around there, probably that weekend. So about a month later. So he ended up meeting up with Amber the next day. Okay. Like, couldn't wait to meet her. Yeah. Right? So, um, Amber is actually a massage therapist, and she's a single mom, and she's living in Fresno on her own. So, on their first date, which was a blind date, because they hadn't seen a picture of each other, they went to dinner, and they flirted the whole night, and they actually ended up back at his hotel room, and then would have sex. Yeah. Wait, okay, I'm sorry, I might have misheard this. He went back He went back for another business trip, or he's in his hometown, and he's just staying in a hotel? I'm sorry. Okay, so Amber lives in Fresno. He lives in Modesto. Yeah. So when they met up for dinner, it was in Fresno. Okay, I see. He drove so out to Fresno. So what did he tell his he wife it. he was doing overnight in Fresno? Like, what the hell? I have no idea. Okay. So theoretically, in an hour and a half, he could say he's anywhere, really. That's true. And they did have, a, a like, a boat. Like, and so they had, like, a, like, a dock area, um, at Berkeley Marina. And so, I mean, it's feasible. He could just be like, I'm going to go fishing, yeah. you know, at night or whatever. At night. At night. <laughs> so, yeah, they went back to his hotel room and they did have sex. She said at the, at the time that this was occurring, she felt like it was just going to be a one night stand kind of deal. So Amber she did? Kinda, yeah. She kind of knew what was up. She was like, we're in a hotel room. He didn't invite me to his house. Yeah. It, it's probably just a hookup, right? Which is like whatever, do you, girl? Which is fine, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, again, not, I don't think that him, she, but... I don't think that she felt shameful about it. She was yeah. just like, it's just a one night thing, like not a big deal. But Scott was the one that eventually ended up continuing to contact her to to her surprise. Okay. So throughout the next month, Scott and Amber um, would hang out a lot. He started going over to her place, would cook for her. Um, she she remembered this one time that. She thought it was really sweet that she had mentioned in passing that she had never had a candied apple before. So he made her candied apples. Like, things like that. Being really nice, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and just being really sweet. And it's kind of like, where's the poop? That pisses me off, though, <laughs> because know? it's like, you could be doing all of this for your fucking right. pregnant wife. Yeah. Surprise her with gifts regularly. Again, she appreciated all this, but something just rubbed her the wrong way. She's mm -hmm. like, this guy has to be too good to be true. Exactly. It's yeah. too perfect. So Amber th said that things were going pretty well, and um, she asked Scott to be her date for an upcoming Christmas party okay. during one of these nights that they were hanging out. And she noticed that Scott began to get really uncomfortable and like, kind of like, almost be quiet and kind of shut down because he doesn't want to be seen in public with her in case he runs into somebody i mean he's only an hour from home yeah so amber pushed the subject just a little bit more and scott said that he needed to come clean about something oh my god and that he wanted to tell amber but he didn't want it to affect their relationship that was just beginning okay when you start something like that like you know that's gonna affect the relationship <laughs> what's going on Scott told Amber that he was, in fact, married, but that he had lost his wife recently. And this would be the first Christmas without her. The first holiday he was experiencing without her. Okay, that is fucking far from the truth, but all right. This was December 9th, okay? But not only that, um, oh, so Amber pretty much said that she wasn't going to push the subject. She saw that he got really bothered by it, and yeah, she didn't want to... Right, she, well, she didn't want to 
she didn't want to upset him further. Yeah, she doesn't and know so She doesn't know any better. And so she, all she did was console him since it was clearly whatever he was going through was traumatic. Pisses me off. So Scott said, um, not only with the things with his wife, and that's what was going on, but to kind of get his mind off of it, he was actually going to go on a trip to Europe for the holidays. And it was to get away because he didn't want to experience the holiday without his wife. And so he was like, I'm going to go with a few friends and we're going to go tour Europe during the holidays so I'm not so lonely, basically. So he actually wasn't going to Europe. He was just using that as an excuse to not see Amber throughout the holidays because spend time with his fucking wife and his unborn child. Mm-hmm. Speculating Maybe. here. <laughs> but he did say when he got back from his European trip that he wanted to um, continue talking with Amber towards improving their relationship or getting getting through the difficult time together or whatever it was yeah. to continue that conversation at another date. So on December 23rd, 2002, Lacey and Scott went to visit her sister Amy, who regularly cut Scott's hair. So this was Christmas Eve Eve. Mm -hmm. So they were um, hanging around, you know, at the, I don't know, it didn't specify where they were, but it might have been Amy's house. Either way, the family was talking about their plans for Christmas Eve the following day, and he had mentioned that he did have plans to go golfing for Christmas Eve. Okay. So later in the evening, Lacey's mom, Sharon, called the house and had a brief conversation with her daughter. The next morning, the morning of the 24th, again, this is Christmas Eve, Scott said that at about 9.30 a.m., he was leaving the house to go fishing in Brinkley Marina. Okay. First it was golfing. Now it's fishing. First it was Europe. First it was Europe. Then it was golfing. Now it's fishing. Now it's fishing. So it's about, I actually Googled where Brinkley Marina, where the closest, um, What do you call that? Like a drop port? Yeah. The closest port is there. And it's literally 15, 20 minutes from their house. Okay. It's really close. They're pretty much almost on the water. So when he left the house, he said that Lacey was watching a cooking show while baking cookies, preparing to mop, and then she was going to walk the dog. Okay. She's busy. She's very busy on Christmas Eve. She's very, very busy. So later that morning at about 10.30 a.m., a neighbor named Karen. Mm-hmm. I love that. Karen. Karen. So the Peterson's dog, Mackenzie, was alone outside the home and returned to the Peterson's backyard by Karen. Karen was like, that dog not supposed to be out. So she put, yeah. him, put him back in the, in the backyard. So another neighbor named Mike said that he saw Mackenzie again at 10.45 a.m. Okay. So this is another 15 minutes later. And he was playing catch with his own dog outside, and Mm -hmm. he saw Mackenzie. And so he also returned Mackenzie to the backyard. Good neighbors. Apparently this happened at least one or two other times. Okay. That neighbors had seen the dog at different times and was returning the dog. I mean, that's, like, seemingly, like... If it's a close-knit neighborhood, that seems normal to me, but it also seems like I would be like, hey, like, your dog got out, like, just to let you know, like, here he is, or whatever. Like, I kind of want to, like, maybe knock on the door, like, let them know, instead of just, like, taking it upon myself to enter their backyard. Well, yeah, I I mean, they're just putting the dog back in the gate. Yeah. So Scott claimed later when he returned at home around 2.30-ish, maybe. He had seen, uh, he had found Mackenzie in the backyard. So Scott found Lacey's Range Rover in the driveway, but decided now would be a great time to strip down and wash the clothes that he was wearing and take a shower. Well, he did just come home from fishing. So he just, like, came home, didn't, like, say hi or anything like that, and just immediately took a shower? And Mackenzie was muddy, apparently, is what he described. He was like, oh, Mackenzie's muddy, the Range Rover's here, but Lacey's not. Better take a shower. Yeah, that's really odd. A little weird. 
So although Scott claims to be the first person to call police, there are accounts that find this not to be true. Scott, seemingly concerned, waited around until 5.15 to call his mother-in-law, Sharon, and say, well, I don't know, she was going to walk the dog this morning when I left at 9.30. It was the last time I saw her. It's now almost 5.30. Haven't seen my wife. And I've been home for three hours. I've been home for three hours. She was going to walk the dog, but the dog's here. The dog's here, The exactly. Range Rover's in the, in the driveway. Huh. Super sus. Immediately concerned, Lacey's parents were the ones that informed police. She's seven and a half months pregnant at this yeah, point, by exactly. the way. Yeah, She's due in February. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, again, Ron was the first one to call police. So when police arrived at the Peterson home, investigators would come to find Lacey's purse, wallet, keys, and sunglasses shoved into the back of a closet. What? At the Peterson home. Just shoved in the back of a closet. So, oh, so what was happening is that he was trying to make it look like all of her shit was gone, so she must have it with her. Exactly. threw it in the closet to try to, like, not let everyone see. Dummy. Knowing, not even realizing that they're gonna fucking search his house. Yeah, like, the first place you would look would be the house. Maybe she, I don't know if they have a basement. Did she fall in the basement? Did she, you know, crawl up in the attic for some reason? looked around the house They're gonna check in the closets. They're gonna check everywhere. What the hell? Dummy. So on top of this, on the kitchen counter, when police arrived, there was a phone book open on defense attorney pages. God damn. What a fucking idiot. (laughs) Like, what an idiot. It's pretty cut and dry. I mean, like, come on. Clearly, you're fucking trying to. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, I don't know. I'm just reading the phone book. I don't know. Yeah. And I just so happen to be on D today for defense attorneys. I'm just <laughs> reading these yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. So the dining room table had actually been set for the Christmas feast the next day. So, which I it didn't denote whether or not that was done before Scott left, but. It clearly seems like she was the one She that did set it up. after he left, right? I mean, because she was going to mop. Mm hmm. So, I don't know. So, during all of this, Scott's demeanor was described as calm. Modesto police detectives Bueller and Brocini, they were the lead investigators on the case, questioned Scott that evening. Uh-huh. So, although Scott initially said that he spent the day golfing, he did say that he had gone fishing at Berkeley Marina. He even had a receipt for checking into the port anyways, so uh-huh. he had to have gone down there sometime. So at 2.15, he left a message for Lacey stating, hey, beautiful, it's 2.15, I'm leaving Berkeley. <laughs> it's 2.15? It's Why the 2:15? fuck would you say Who that ever in a normal that? voicemail? Hi, I'm calling you now at 7.36, and I... <laughs> and also... It's a voicemail. There's a timestamp when right. it was left. Well, so. maybe I, it might be the house phone, but or the still, yeah. Even the answering machine would say that. Scott that stated, is so dumb. What an like what? How? Scott, mm, sorry. Scott stated that he went fishing about ninety miles from the couple's Modesto home. There's my. Does alibi. this dude not know how far ninety miles is? Literally. I, li- I took it on the map, and I clicked on their home, and I went, like, seriously way up into North California. 90 miles is a long a way. long way. Even by boat. That's, like, two hours driving time. He would have had to have gone... If it was really 90 miles, he would have been out in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. I looked, because if you, where Berkeley Marina is, it's San Francisco Bay, and then... I forget what that lake is called... But all the way through up there, it's only six miles. Yeah. Like, 90 miles is a long way. In the middle of fucking ocean. Yeah. So this guy's a dummy, clearly. Was he dumping her body out there? 
So, detectives immediately launched a search, but they were surprised by Scott's behavior. Bueller said that, quote, I suspected Scott when I first met him. Didn't mean he did it, but it was a little, I was a little thrown off by his calm, cool demeanor and lack of questioning. Why didn't he ask me, will you call me back? Can I have your card? What are you guys doing now? Yeah, like, he's, like, not very interested in trying to find out where his wife is, right. it seems. Bracini described Scott's reaction as, quote, strange and a combination of polite and arrogant, disaffected, distance, and com- and impatiently irritable. Okay. Like, he's, like, he's just like, get- I don't know what you want from me. I don't know. Can you, you know? get this search over with? Like, I'm fucking tired. Yeah. Like, shit like that. Ew. Yeah. He just didn't seem like a man who was crushed or even greatly disturbed by his wife's disappearance and possible death. Yeah. That's all one quote, by the way. Investigators took Scott to the station to further question him Uh about the events that were leading up to Lacey's disappearance and about the relationship itself. And during this time, Scott said that he had a wonderful relationship with no complications, although the police were almost immediately suspicious of Scott. Lacey's family didn't believe that Scott had anything to do with the disappearance of Lacey at this point, and Scott was able to go home after this interview. Lacey was officially a missing persons on Christmas Eve. Oh, my God. So six days after Christmas Eve, Amber was actually hanging again. This is Amber Fry. Mm Mm-hmm. Amber was spending some time with a girlfriend one day, and the girlfriend handed Amber a copy of a newspaper. Okay. And the article contained information regarding a missing woman from Modesto, and although Scott's face wasn't printed on the newspaper, enough details were given in the article that Amber now knows that this is her, Scott Peterson, from Modesto. Oh my god, that's so scary. Within a few days, Amber would approach police, saying that she had potentially important information towards the case. Okay. Investigators sat down with Amber and gained some pretty good information at the beginning. Um, They sat down and talked for more than an hour or so. Clearly, she wasn't fabricating this, Yeah. she was seeing this guy. Of course. So Amber agreed to cooperate with investigators, and the investigators went down to a local radio shack with her. LOL. That's amazing. Radio shack. Love that. <laughs> so they purchased a recording device that would attach to her cell phone mm-hmm. so that they could monitor any conversations that, you know, her and Scott were to have. As they're, like, they're literally standing outside of the radio shack, and Scott calls. Oh, my God. And they had just hooked up the recording device, right? Oh, my God. So they're going to get his ass. So Amber was super nervous, and, like, she was shaking. So the connection was super rickety, and eventually they lost connection, quote-unquote, which totally feeds into oh his, God. like, story about him being in Europe, right? How wait, convenient. Oh, wait. he's supposed to be in he Europe He called now. her, right? Yes. Oh, I thought you said that he was in person for some no, reason. No, this is what, no, he called her because, again, she's in Fresno and he's supposed to be, like, out in Europe. Yeah. Backpacking and she's or whatever like, the fuck. that's funny. It's totally, like, 4.30 a.m. in Europe. Why are you awake? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> no, that's the thing is, like, he was trying to call her, like, at specific hours so that it would seem like he was in Europe, oh right? God, what yeah. what a fucking idiot. It's like, he's totally thought this out. <laughs> So again, like I said, the call drops, which again plays into the story that he's in Europe. So after the call, investigators told her, like, it's okay. Just remember, just talk to him like normal. Yeah. We don't have anything on this guy. It's just suspicious. Dude, I would be shitting myself. It's just suspicious, but they have no real evidence that he did anything to his wife. But if if there's any chance that he knows where she is alive, Mm -hmm. then they want that information too, right? So again, they they convinced Amber, like, it's going to be some time, so just relax. Like, it's okay. So. I feel like there's a giant twist coming, and I'm really nervous. So again, they take their time listening, and anyways, so later that night, that same night, Scott calls again. He starts to tell Amber about his current location, which is, quote, just outside of Normandy. Oh my god. <laughs> but that he'll, quote. And it's 2.15. <laughs> <laughs> 
But he'll, quote, be in Paris tomorrow for New Year's, and hopefully the phones will be better then. So, like, meaning, again, like, it's totally playing into his, like, oh, there's such a bad connection. Does she, so she knows he's not in Europe. Right, she and knows. he thinks, but he doesn't know that she knows, right. and that he's totally, like, my wife's missing, and, like, whatever. Does does she, she know that she that knows the, he's married and stuff, or nothing? Like, she, she, remember he said that he had, quote, lost his wife, and this was going to be the first Christmas Yes, outer. exactly. So she doesn't know that she knows that his wife is actually very much, well, maybe not alive, but he was, she was alive recently. And now she knows, because he said that on the 9th of December, and she didn't go missing until Christmas Eve. Yes, and, but he doesn't know that she knows all this information. Right. He's trying to just play it up, like, he's still having this, like relationship with her and what was me my wife like yeah yeah, exactly the fact that the wife had probably already died well had died at some point and that he's in europe to like escape the holidays without his wife yeah Yeah. and so she knows now oh your wife just went missing and you're a fucking freak yeah yeah Yeah, literally (laughs) so knowing full well he's in modesto right Mm -hmm. so the next day this was christmas or i'm sorry new year's eve right so this is the 31st um, Scott calls Amber to tell her all about his amazing New Year's experience in Paris, oh right? God. He claims that he was under the Eiffel Tower and there were crazy fireworks going off and that he and his two friends are now at a bar for the rest of the New Year's celebration. He even fabricates his two friends. Not a fucking joke, right? Francois <laughs> and Pas... It's Pasquale. supposed to be pa- Pasquale. Pasquale. Like Pasquale. Francois and Pasquale. Yeah, and Francois and Pasquale, right? So they're French and Spanish. He's oh like, gosh. oh, my friend Pasquale came up from Spain. Now it's me and Francois at the bar. That is so funny. Like, he's a liar. He, like, gets on the phone. He's like, wee oui, wee, oui, it's Francois. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, like, oh, it's me. It's oh. Pasquale. He even puts his finger over his face like he has a mustache, but he doesn't because he can't even, he can't see her. He can only oui, oui. hear her. Wee oui, wee. Oui. So, of course, like, but, okay, so on the other side of what's interesting about the recording is on the other side, you hear a bunch of people. So you hear a bunch of people talking, and it sounds like he's in a really loud atmosphere, maybe right? he was in a bar, just in Modesto. He was in Mod- a really Modesto? loud... Modesto? Modesto. 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 You would think so. But he was actually at Lacey's Candlelight Vigil. No, he was not... Oh, that is so messed up. That's so sick. He was at his wife's candlelight visual, vigil while he was on the phone with Amber Fry, saying that he was in Paris at a bar. At a bar. When everybody there is there to mourn, this mourn and, and raise awareness, because she's still missing at this point. Yeah. And raise awareness for his wife, who is seven months pregnant. Oh my God, what a freaking asshole. Asshole. So continuing on to the new year, on January 5th, divers began searching the Berkeley Marina for any signs of Lacey or Scott dumping evidence. Okay. So since um, that's where he said that he was last at, and again, I mentioned earlier that he does have a receipt from the marina, so he definitely went there that day. Mm -hmm. So however, the search was actually called off a few days later because they just really didn't find any evidence. They had a few, like, suspicions of certain things being found certain places with sonar, but they turned turned out to be nothing. Yeah. So um, Sharon, Lacey's mom, had actually said that she didn't believe... First of all, she didn't believe that Scott did anything wrong. And second of all, she just didn't think that Lacey was there. She just didn't feel like Lacey yeah. would be there. So with all that, again, like I said, they called off the search in in the marina. So the next day on a phone call, Amber had pushed the issue of Lacey's disappearance 
towards Scott. Like, this is, so this would be the 6th of January. Wait, so Amber, he knows that Amber knows now? During this phone call. This phone call that they're about to have. Amber is going to say. I know who you really I know, are. Like, a girlfriend said something really weird to me about a missing woman okay. and mentioned a Scott Peterson. Is that you? Okay. And Scott did confess to Amber that his wife had gone missing on Christmas Eve and that he was not in Europe. Oh my god, what the hell? Such a dummy. He's just like, yeah, I've been lying Oh yeah, you got me. <laughs> oh, got well, me. Yeah, whoa, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he did say, she was like, Scott, you told me you lost your wife. It's not, and that was before she even went missing. Yeah, like that's And really he said, suspicious. well, there's different types of loss, Amber. Okay. Like, it was like emotional loss? Like, that's pretty cut and dry. Like you're getting mad at me. Yeah. Because you, okay. No. So on, so that was the um, 6th of January. So I'm going to fast forward just a little bit more. On January 24th, the Rochas had actually denounced their support of Scott after the information about Amber was revealed because the investigators kept that really hush-hush mm-hmm. that they were doing this thing with Amber because they didn't want her to be compromised. Of course. Or harassed or yeah. anything. Or killed. Or, yeah, exactly. Again, the family was told about Amber. There's actually a very public press release that Amber does. But before this press release, the the family was pulled aside before she was going to be broadcast on national television. Well, that's really respectful. And they they pulled Sharon and Ron aside and they said, look, this is the information that we've gathered over this time. They said that their final straw besides the photographs of the two of them together, because she thought they were in a relationship. She was taking photographs of them in their Christmas outfits and shit together. Like, so again, besides the photographs, they were more upset that he had stated 14 days before Lacey went missing that he had in fact lost his wife. And that's when they were like, okay, this guy, like, we don't believe he didn't do anything Probable cause. Yeah. Yeah. So content warning. On April 13th, 2003, a couple walking their dog found a decomposing body of a late-term fetus in a marshy area of the San Francisco Bay Shore what? in Richmond Point Isabel Regional Shoreline Park, which is our lot of words. Wait. And this is north of the Brinkley Marina. So they found just the fetus? So they, yeah, they found a, they found a fetus of a late-term male. Uh, this, okay, this makes me think... That either... Okay, go. Uh, one day later, the decomposing torso of a woman was found one mile away from the fetus. Oh, my God. So the woman was wearing a beige beige pants and a maternity bra. The woman oh was unrecognizable given the state of decomposition and mutilation that had been done to her body. What the fuck? Again, severe content warning. She was missing her head, arms, legs, and all of her internal organs were missing except for her female anatomy. Oh my god. Like her uterus and everything was still intact. DNA tests would confirm that these bodies are that of Lacey and Connor. Oh no. The Emmy later released the autopsy report stating that Connor's skin was not decomposed, although that the right side of his body was subject to trauma, possibly wildlife. Oh my god. But other than that, he was intact. So the placenta and umbilical cord had not been found, but they said it probably fell off at some point just because it's really thin and it's pliable and yeah so an expected date of death was not confirmed for Lacey. again her female organs were intact um and she had suffered two cracked ribs although this is not determined of whether or not this happened before or after her death oh my god it's so awful it was concluded that connor had been 
protected by Lacey's intact female organs. Whether or not Connor was alive when he was expelled by Lacey's dying or dead body was unclear. Although meconium, which is a, um, it's, meconium was found in Connor's bowels, which is the first stool that a baby has. So, and it's pretty much, it's the baby, when the baby processes that first stool, it's because it's through the umbilical cord and it's all the dead red, red blood cells. So it looks like blood or black. So that was in his body. So he wasn't like cut out of her body. He was just pretty much delivered when she was dying. After she had died. Yeah. So, which is awful. So again, the indication that that was found inside his body, again, they, they expel that within like an hour of them being born. So if he had been born alive, that probably wouldn't be there, is what I'm saying. So, so the was, fact that it was, yeah. He had passed before he was expelled. Before he, yeah, could defecate, oh, pretty much. so awful. So the day that the DNA was confirmed to be Lacey and Connors, police sought to arrest Scott Peterson. Yeah. They found him on a La Jolla golf course, which is right on the border of Mexico. Oh, what I wonder what his plan was. <laughs> He was claiming to meet his dad and his brother on this golf course, but he was waiting for them. In his car, investigators found miscellaneous items, including nearly $15,000 in cash, 12 Viagra tablets. What the fuck? Survival gear, camping equipment, several changes of clothes, four cell phones, and his brother's driver's license. So he was planning on fleeing to, like, the mountains of Mexico. In addition to... This is in addition to his own, is the brother's driver's license. His naturally dark brown hair had been dyed bright blonde. That's why like, I said that the mugshot is it? hilarious because it just look, he looks like a freak. So on April 21st, 2003, Scott was arraigned in Stanislaus County Superior Court before Judge Nancy Ashley. He was charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances. So what was the evidence that they nabbed him on? Did they have physical evidence at the scene? His trial began on June 1st, 2004. Mark Garagos was Scott's defense attorney, and he claimed that although Mr. Peterson was a cad, quote, it hardly made him a murderer. The defense focused on the theory that someone else had kidnapped and killed Lacey, potentially for monetary gain. So there were reports of a woman stealing checks from mailboxes around the neighborhood at this time. So they were thinking that maybe they were going to kidnap her, keep her. Maybe they thought it would be too much to do that, so they just killed her anyways. Mm -hmm. A single hair was the only piece of forensic evidence that was identified throughout the entire trial. Oh, my God. Forensic evidence. It it was a hair that matched through DNA comparison to the hair from Lacey's hairbrush, and it was stuck to pliers found on Peterson's boat. All Mm -hmm. other evidence was circumstantial. Scott's changed appearance, a vehicle rented in his mother's name, several porno channels that he purchased the day after Lacey went missing. I guess they entered that into evidence. They said that it showed proof that he had, he was determined to move on. Like, he didn't care. I mean, kind of. Like, he dyed his hair. He seems like he's trying to escape. Yeah. Well, I mean, the porn is what I was talking about. (laughs) That it was evident, it was evidence that he was moving on already. I mean... That's fucking gross. He did talk of selling the house that him and Lacey shared, and he did talk about trading in Lacey's car for a new truck for himself. Okay. Yeah. So all the while, she's a missing person. <laughs> yes. And he's, like, treating it like she's dead already. Mm-hmm. So on November 12th, 2004, Scott Peterson was convicted of first-degree murder for his wife's death and the second-degree murder for Connor's death. Mm-hmm. The penalty phase of the trial began on November 30th and concluded December 13th. When the jury rendered a sentence of death. Wow. On March 16th, 
Judge DeLucci followed the the jury's verdict, sentencing Peterson to death by lethal injection and ordering him to pay $10,000 towards the cost of Lacey's funeral. The judge called the murderer of Lacey cruel, uncaring, heartless, and callous. After 17 years on death row on August 24th, 2020, in a 7-0 decision, the Supreme Court of California upheld Peterson's conviction but overturned his death sentence. This is after he had been applying for appeals on a new trial. On September 22nd, 2021... Okay, that's like right... Like yesterday. <laughs> California's Superior Court Judge Anne Christine Masulo scheduled Peterson to be resentenced that... Or this November. It says that November, but this November to life in prison without the possi- possibility of parole. Wow. So I know. we'll have to update on that whenever it does reach that time. We'll it's have so- to update when yeah. we find out. Right. And again, I just... I took that little snippet of information, especially the sentencing. I mean, I kind of shaped it up a little bit, but I did take it off of Wiki, and again, like I said, it's, it hasn't updated anything else since then. So, it was him. Yeah. I mean... Honestly, I thought you were going to be... I thought you were going to be, like, plot twist. Amber and him were feigning this whole thing, no. and she actually knew the whole time, and she took out She's Lacey. She's read... Uh, read. She's written multiple books about her account, because and then she really goes into her and Scott's relationship, Amber. Um... And it's really interesting, like, this guy has, like, anti-personality, sociopathic tendencies here. Yeah. And he's clearly a narcissist. Yeah. So that's Dang, what I like. That up. is so wild. That, <laughs> yeah. that poor mom and that poor baby. That, I know. It's that awful. That really hurts my heart. It almost reminds me of Chris Watts. And, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to do it. It's, it's, yeah, it's really tragic, especially when you talk, like, with Chris Watts, same thing. Shanann mm-hmm. was pregnant. Yeah. And then they had two babies. And, like, it's just... And I think that he probably has a lot of that Scott Peterson shit in him, too. I can't even imagine, like, being married to somebody, starting a family with somebody, and then them turning out to be the kind of piece of shit that Chris Chris Peterson and... and, Or (laughs) Chris Watts. Chris Watts and uh, Scott Peterson are. Like, that is so, so awful. My heart really goes out to the families of the victims. Yeah. It's it's really sad, especially for someone like Lacey, who seemed to have, like, a pretty good life and a pretty good outlook on life. And it seemed like she was a really sweet person. And I know she was excited to have this baby and just... Yeah. They had, like, the nursery set up and everything. That hurts my heart. And poor Amber. I mean, she's just as much as a victim in this. Yeah, she's a single mom. Like, she was definitely looking for someone to have settled down with and have a partnership with. Yeah, that's... That's really, really awful. I so, mean, and that's, yeah. it sounds bad, but, like, you never know. Like, you, oh, you're you always taking a risk when mm-hmm. you start a relationship with someone new. And it's, yeah. and it's very scary. It's very awful. So psychologists have actually speculated that Scott is some combination of a narcissist. And they say sociopath, but we know that that's probably not the correct terminology. Yeah. Um, sociopath meaning, like, socially having, like, some type of a disorder, like an anti-personality disorder. lack of empathy, lack of emotion. Right. So here's some of the instances, if you want to take a trip down memory lane with me. Peterson told that his his neighbors that he was playing golf on Christmas Eve when he was actually fishing, which we know, or fishing. Yeah. So clearly that's something that... Oh, this is even though his fishing rod was not assembled and his lures were still in the packaging. Oh, cute. So you can easily tell, like, that's a lie. He's not ready. Um, Peterson began an affair with Amber Fry, thinking that that wouldn't be an issue either. No one's going to find out. Right, no one's going to find that out. 
Um, again, tearfully confessing to her that he had lied to her, saying that he was married when he wasn't, or that his wife was dead when she was or wasn't. Manipulative as fuck. Yeah. The candlelight vigil that he was, like, literally giggling on the phone with Amber Fry while he was there. People saw him talking in the corner, and then her family, like, they had them up on this kind of, like, stage where they were talking about, and Scott never went up and said anything. Like, he just didn't give a shit. So signs of narcissistic personality disorder include a grandiose sense of self-importance, i.e. you exaggerate your achievement or your abilities. Mm-hmm. You have a preoccupation with the idea of gaining success, power, love, and physical attractiveness, a belief that you are special or in high status and can only be understood by similar people or should only asso- associate with those specific people or institutions, mm-hmm. a need for excessive admiration, a sense of entitlement and expectation that others will simply just comply or give them favorable treatment, exploits other people for personal gain, you lack empathy for others, you envy others or believe that others others envy you, uh-huh. and you're arrogant. You're arrogant. <laughs> you have arrogant behaviors and attitudes. And then signs of antipersonality disorder are repeatedly failing to follow social norms, resulting in grounds for arrest, potentially. Uh-huh. Engaging in deceitful actions such as lying, using aliases, not paying off debts, impulsivity and lack of planning ahead, irritability and aggressiveness that leads to physical altercations, recklessness or a lack of concern for the safety of other people, chronic irresponsibility that leads to failure to maintain a job, finish school, or keep financial commitments, and a lack of remorse for hurting other people. That's like all him. Yeah, every single one. And I'm pretty sure you only need about two or three of those. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's two types of personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder and antipersonality disorder, but they can coincide. Yeah. And when they coincide, it's these specific things. So in order for someone to fall into this category, they need to show several of the diagnostic criterias. This is kind of what we just talked about. So a sociopathic narcissist or an antipersonality disorder and narcissist personality disorder, um, when those are combined... That person can be cold and callous, but will also seek the admiration of others and will also believe that they deserve it. They will have a disdain for people and think that it's okay to exploit and dispose of people in whatever way that helps them get ahead. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. These kinds of people may be charismatic and charming, unreliable and controlling, selfish and dishonest. They both feel entitled and deny responsibility for their actions. They usually lack empathy and emotional responsiveness and an insight into their, into their own personality disorders. Yeah. So they think that they're just a highly successful person. Just why wouldn't people not love me? Yeah. Wow. Well, that really, really shows what kind of a piece of shit that that guy is. And we'll definitely update when we see anything about his case, any movement or anything. But thanks for sharing. I actually didn't yeah. know that case. You didn't? I did not. Okay. And I'm glad that I do. Not glad, but... Uh, interesting yeah it was definitely something that i dived into when i heard about it i was in my high school years like that was something that was definitely intriguing to me um yeah she was found in 2003 so i was definitely in like a sophomore i mean yeah Yeah. so it was definitely something that i remembered being really big news yeah i mean even nancy grace was talking about it you know if nancy grace Grace. talks about it then it's true yeah exactly (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing. I hope that you guys are enjoying our content. We're really enjoying researching these cases and giving insight into the diagnoses that these people have or may not have. And we're going to commit to making something for you guys to attach to within the next episode, probably. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just keep listening to us if you like what we're doing. 
We'll definitely, again, reach out when we find those lines of communication and we have them open. Uh, I did set up an Instagram for us, so that is going to be at Diagnosing a Killer. And I also set up a Twitter for us as well, so that's at Killer Diagnosis. So give us a follow, give us a shout if you want to direct message us or if you want to tweet at us. Um, We're here and we're available to respond. So please, please, please hit us up. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Bye.